Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. And today we're talking to Kathy Madsen, who we love. She's a repeat guest because she has so much great information. We're going to talk about pandemic puppies. We're going to talk about the bite-sized pieces that you want to take when you're training, the vet behaviorists you can consult to help you, and the virtual communities that are out there, especially on PreventiVet, to help you know you're not alone. So let's go see what Kathy has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and I'm so excited to be here again with my dear friend and the aficionado in behavior of animals, Kathy Manson. And she, of course, as we know, is a certified dog trainer and behavior counselor. Is that right? Consultant. Well, a consultant, but I almost think of myself as a counselor. I think it more should be counselor because you are working with the dogs, counseling them, um, and you're working with the people, counseling them about the dogs they're with. So we're having Kathy back today because remember at the end of our last episode, we said, Kath, can you come back and talk about the pandemic puppy and what people are facing now? And I know that this has been on your mind because we've talked about it, on how to help people really... Um, understand how to keep their pets because they got them for a reason. Um, and in my opinion, and it's only mine, it's not Kathy's, maybe she agrees. If they really can't manage the dog, how to move on um, and not make them shame or blame, but rather help them find that next best home for the dog. Yeah. yeah thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be back. It's always fun to chat with you, but yeah, it's a big transition that we're starting to go through with everyone kind of planning to go back to work. And, and I know it's the context where everything has changed, right? We, we were all at home, working from home, isolated. And, hey, I have all this time now to add a pet to my life, you know, and, and spend the time with them and get to know them, build this relationship. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, especially if they're first-time dog owners, is it's a lot of work, <laughs> And it's very rewarding, but it's also exhausting, you know, especially if you don't know what to expect or you have a puppy because puppies are tons of work and you're going to get sleep deprived and deal with nipping and all of these things. And it, it can be really stressful. And then all of a sudden we have this new normal coming up where, okay, everything's going to change again. Can I handle the stress that's going to come with that? And what is my dog going to do? How are they going to cope and how resilient are they going to be in that change? You know, so it's a stressful thing to, to think about, 
And then when you're already dealing with some normal behavior issues that come along with having a dog, adding in that extra stress of the re-entry is even, it's tough for a lot of people. So, so yeah, I do agree with you. It's if a dog isn't the right fit or you can't give them the environment and home they need to thrive behaviorally, it often can be the best choice to find a better environment for them. Um, but I think the biggest caution there is making sure that that's not your first go-to, right? You- oh, exactly. Let's not trade in the one dog for another dog soon thereafter. I've had a few people who have come to me thinking that, well, this dog just didn't work out. I'll get that dog. And I'm like, it's sort of like you take yourself with you. You really have to know who you are and the, the bandwidth you have to have a pet. And sometimes having someone like you come in and give you those tips, because I think what happened here during the pandemic, you put it perfectly. We had time at home, great time to get a dog because we never have time at home. Uh, But we had no idea what we were doing. It's sort of like in a lot of ways, and you might agree with me, having a baby, you come home with this this thing that's nice and quiet at first. (laughs) I think the hospitals, I think the hospital pumps something through the air so the babies are really good. And then you come home and they get colicky and you're like, oh my God, no sleep, right? So it's sort of like having a child and you really do have to read those books. I know how hard that is, right? Don't you think? You have to read the books. You have to get experts who um, talk your language. I'd love you to tell my group, because why do pets matter? Well, they matter in a way to you different than they might matter in a way to me. And if you have someone who's helping you train your pet you should speak the same language. And I think we've talked about this, Kathy. So if somebody's doing something that you don't agree with, ask them why or ask them to tell you more or find somebody else. Yeah, yeah, do your research. Find find that right style and style as in teaching style. Right, that's teaching. what I meant, right. <laughs> yeah, so, so that way that you can learn better, you can build a better relationship because The big thing I try to do with my clients is really create a relationship and be a part of their support team. Because like I said, owning a dog is not easy. Raising a puppy is not easy. What's amazing about it is that they're a totally different species and we've been able to share our lives in very close contact with them, which is just so cool when you think about it. But it's not easy and it's not a natural. And not without that first level of training for you and training for us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it can feel so overwhelming too, because there's so much information out there. You go on Google and look up, you know, puppy potty training, you get things all over YouTube, Holy Toledo. And so it's really helpful to either before you bring a dog home, hopefully, right? (laughs) Ideally. Or after you bring the puppy home or the dog home to connect with someone that you can have that relationship with who can help translate all that information and then really personalize it for you and your dog. Because everyone is unique. Every dog is unique. Every lifestyle is different, right? And so you're right. People are looking for different things when they share their life with a dog. And it's all about kind of matching any training or behavior modification to that lifestyle so that it's less stressful overall. So, so when you pick a dog, now you are the quintessential hands-on person who's helping people who have dogs um, cope with those dogs. What do you think if they call you before they get the dog? 
to have you help them evaluate which of these three dogs that we really want um, if they've done their homework, which is always, I think, you know, why do pets matter? You really need to know what pet's going to fit into your lifestyle. Um, so if they called you before and they gave you three um, kinds of dogs, what would you ask them or talk to them about in deciding which dog would be right for them? Yeah, great question. And more and more trainers are starting to offer this kind of service where it's helping them. You wear the shoes before you buy them. Yeah, and, and know what to expect. Yeah. Um, I, I usually sit down first and just talk to them about their lifestyle, why they're wanting to bring a dog into the home, how much time and energy they'll have because puppies require more time, supervision, <laughs> energy burning time with the puppies. Yep versus say a senior dog, right? Yeah. And so I look at, you know, what their commitment level is going to be, um, their knowledge, have they owned dogs before? What kinds of dogs do they own? Oh, we had it as a, you know, when I was a kid, we had tons of dogs, but haven't had one as an adult. That's different because usually the parents in a family take on everything. Yeah. And so all of a sudden being that, that caretaker is a little different. Um, but I do look at energy level of the dog um, and that can come from breed uh, predisposition or breed mix. You know, is it a hound mix? Is it a working dog? Things that. Is that, it a terrier? Yes, terrier. So much fun. <laughs> and Maybe. so I'm really looking at what matches well to what their expectations are. But then I always want to have the conversation of let's talk about your expectations because we could find a great match for you and there is still going to be something that will be frustrating and stressful that you'll have to just work through. Yeah. Right? And that's normal with every dog. Right? When you, when you pick a breed, you have a pretty good idea of what it's going to grow up. Like if you uh, pick a dog from a shelter, even if it's a puppy, you know, there are multiple, there may be multiple breeds in there. So there are the good, bad and ugly about every breed that's in that DNA. Um, so that's always the one idea, whether or not I want a Corgi or I want a Corgi mix, because then you get Corgi and then you might get Terrier, uh, mm -hmm. which would would maybe um, put you right over the edge because between the Corgi's antics um, and the terrier added for like salt, pepper and hot sauce, uh, you know, you, you really might have a dog that's different. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because when you said, you know, a lot of trainers are giving people the ability to do this first to have, you know, it's, it's not as if you want to sell them on the dog you want, you really have to sell them, or, or educate them on the dog that would better fit their lifestyle. Yeah, because in the long run, what we're looking at is, is what will that dog's quality of life be in that home? Right. So we're framing it from the human side where, oh, what works in your lifestyle? What are you hoping to do with this dog, whether it's a sport or showing or whatever it might be, um, or just companionship, right? Right. Just sitting uh, watching football, right? Yeah, which is great. Right? That would be that senior dog that really needs you. Exactly. But, but in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about these are the basic needs for all dogs. Is that going to work in this home? And then layered on top of that is predispositions and things. And even within breeds, there's yeah. variability on that. If you have a Pembroke, they tend to be a little bit more quote unquote neurotic than the cardigans that I have. Right. And I knew that going in. Right. So doing the research ahead of time, especially if you're starting to seek out a breeder right, or 
thinking about, okay, I'm going to work with a breed specific rescue. Um, or I'm going to go to the local shelter, but I'd like, you know, a shepherd mix. I've done my research on shepherds and that fits with what I think I want. Right, right, right. Yeah. And having someone on the outside who's a little less emotionally involved in the decision to help manage your expectations, really kind of help you figure out, but is that really what you want? And if that doesn't happen with this dog, what happens then? Right. Because you could get a dog thinking, oh, this is a working line or, and I wanted to do agility with this dog and then they don't enjoy agility. That's yeah, okay. You really, you really don't want to get a bulldog and do agility. <laughs> do agility. Although I have seen some. Oh, really absolutely. And Frenchies, right? Not so many pugs, but you know, you have seen some. Yeah. You, you know, you really have to look at these dogs. It's, it's interesting. I had someone once want to buy a bulldog and I said, so do you know the maintenance of a bulldog? And they go, well, no. And I said, well, why don't we do this? I'll send you some information. It's not that I don't think I love bulldogs. I love Frenchies. I love, you know, pugs. Uh, however, there's a lot of maintenance with those dogs and their their foals and their faces, as well as their breathing and the humidity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that goes into the research of, okay, if you have your heart set on that particular breed or breed mix, know what you're getting into ahead of time, plan for it, get pet insurance, <laughs> you know, and, and then if you're going to a breeder, do your research on that breeder because there right. can be very well-bred brachycephalic dogs. Yeah. But there are also lots of not so well-bred brachy dogs that that contributes to more and more health issues, right? So that all goes into the research and, and having a support team, yeah, that trainer or consultant on your side to help really manage the things that you're looking at and have that outside opinion can really help clarify things yeah Um, and then they're also there then you already have a relationship for when there is something happening training wise or behavior wise that you're like oh my gosh I wasn't ready for this you already are there with them and they're like okay let's work on this work on this totally normal to have behavior and training issues pop up with a dog that's totally normal (laughs) so so now you have this relationship going with the breeder and you have this relationship going with the trainer um and you have a pandemic puppy right um and you had them in when you first got home with the dog and then of course because of covid brain um no one really did follow through with what the trainer said or the breeder said how do we give strength to these wonderful pandemic puppy owners who now find themselves um, not in the place that they may have been in had they followed the directions of their breeder or their owner. Um, I find sometimes, um, even before the pandemic, that people would feel really reluctant to call the trainer back or the breeder back because they really didn't follow the directions. And you as a trainer and a behavioral consultant and coach, how do you make sure that you leave them when the puppy is 10 weeks old and you guys have them well on their way to being, you know, a good, you know, member of society. And then of course you leave and you don't, do what you're supposed to do, or maybe you do it for a week or two. Uh, how do you encourage them to say, listen, we all fail at diets. We all, you know, let's not worry about, I can't believe you didn't do this, but rather how do we bring them along to be comfortable calling you or the breeder back? It's so tough because I, I understand why you wouldn't want to 
show any failures that what you consider failures because you and i have never given up on certain things at some time or another and then said oh my god i have to call them on the phone and say, oh my god i find a new personal trainer <laughs> exactly right just hopping around yeah I, I think and this is more on the on the industry side is we need to be very non-judgmental and we need to address and help the dog in front of us and the person in front of us. A little more empathy, right? Because especially yeah. now. And especially now we're also stressed out. And, and I mean, I'm going to shame myself here for a second. As a professional, I have not been as good with practicing Fozzie's alone time as I should have been. And I could give all the excuses why. But if I just you know, sit on that and just think about, oh, I didn't do this as much as I should have and just get down on myself. It's even harder to start working on it going forward. So it really comes to the, okay, that's what it is. What do we do now? And what can we do? And how can we make it easy to get started? How do we give you bite-sized pieces of the next steps? Because I think what happens too is... (laughs) that information overload, right? Whether it's from the internet or from a trainer or a class, you have so much that you think you have to do that you don't do any of it. I am I am like that, where it's like, if you tell me too many instructions, I just won't do it because I get this paralysis. So I need a first step and I need to get really good at that first step and then tell me what to do next, how to build on that. So I think as, as a trainer, My goal is to make it easy on the owner to do small little incremental steps so that they feel successful and then want to keep going because that's how I get that continued training and commitment to the behavior modification. That's a great way to put it because, you know, even as a breeder, um, we know so much and we, and you as a trainer know so much, we can be that fire hose, which of course then, you know, I didn't get anything done. Well, let's see what you did get done. The dog walks really well on a leash. Uh, The dog doesn't bark incessantly. Uh, The dog sits before you put its bowl down to eat dinner. Wow, that's huge. Does the dog still jump? Yes. Does the dog still charge? Yes. But you know what? Those are things that are incremental and we can work on those. So that's what I think most pandemic puppy owners need to hear here today with us and then go back to their trainers or their breeders um, to say, listen, I get it. And we have to start with us. So we have to own the fact that we don't want to see that trainer anymore because, you know, um, we didn't do anything they want to do, personal trainer. But with dogs, if you have a rapport with a trainer, being able to go to them, you know, once, twice, three times. And, you know, nowadays, I think if somebody says just COVID brain, a lot of us really do melt and say, you know what? Um you're right. I probably didn't do as much as I wanted to do these last eight weeks either. And let's see if we can see what we've gotten done. Let's see where we are and let's see where we need to be because we weren't where we were when I walked in your door eight weeks ago. Um, and now let's see where we can go. It's, yeah. it's an important piece and it's how you, that's why I love having you on here because you always think about the ways to break it down into bite-sized pieces so people aren't overwhelmed to give up. Yeah. And it's funny too, because in some of my, my client sessions, we'll be talking and they're like, okay, what's my homework? And I give them one thing. And they're like, that's it. I'm like, that's it. They're like, oh, I feel like I can do more. I'm like, okay, well, next time we meet, we'll see if we can start adding more. And the next time we meet, 
almost a hundred percent. They're like, that was enough. <laughs> Just focus yeah. on one. And it, it makes it easier for them to really focus on a small thing. And, and I love what you were saying where it's, it's almost like this, there's a mountain that we have to climb in any kind of training or behavior modification. And it's, it's so overwhelming to think, oh, I have to come from here all the way to the summit. But if we just start looking at, oh, I'm just going to walk a half mile and then another half mile. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're at the top of the mountain before you know it. But because you didn't let it overwhelm you by just this big look at it and then having someone tell you, okay, this is the next path we're going to take to get there. So it's it's really about giving yourself a break. Yeah. You can deep breath and be like, okay, what can I do? How can I do it? Who's going to support me? So a trainer, um, a, the breeder is a great resource. If you have a relationship with the breeder, breeders are full of information. I, I reach out to my breeder when I need some help or some just referrals to certain things that I'm not familiar with. And then your veterinarian as well. They're there to help. And that's your support team so that you don't have to go it alone. So let me do a taboo subject for me. And I'm, I'm going to raise my hand as a taboo subject for me. I don't know how you feel. So we're going to hear um, because I think that what trainers and what, even if you just read a book or watch a video, if they do little incremental pieces as a trainer, you know, if, if the dog gets this, then it'll get this. And then this is the building block for that. So when I said, which is the hardest thing for some people to do is have your dog sit before you put the ball down. Just let them wait. And that teaches them so many things like sit before the door, sit this, sit that. But you just you're you're starting with this little piece. It's it's a what? Ten seconds. Right. Or you have them sit for five seconds and that's like a win. Right. Sometimes when you go to the vet, especially if a dog is well loved and, you know, just I don't have time for a trainer um, and I just want a quick fix because. It's sort of the mantra now, I want a quick fix. I want the dog right away, which is why sometimes you don't get it from a really good breeder who's gonna mentor you. Um, And uh, I want maybe some medication um, to keep the dog uh, quiet, which uh, never works. It's funny, I used to fly my dogs all over the country to show and people would say, do you medicate them before they get on? I said, if I want them to be raving maniacs when I get them out of the cage, I said, yeah, I would do that. I said, but they need to know and be aware of their environment. And that's not to say that some dogs wouldn't benefit from it. Maybe some brachycephalic, I'm not sure. I just don't do it. So let me know if in your basket of cheer, there um, is sometimes room for and I'm willing to absolutely hear that, you know, my bias is not necessarily the best of all worlds. Um, and there's always room for something new um, medication to help dogs to stay in the house. Uh, but I would think it would need to be used with um, a trainer so that you didn't sort of shut the dog down because you don't have time to train it. So it's such an interesting topic. So the best person to connect with regarding medication as far as it relates to behavior is a veterinary behaviorist. Yep. Because they are trained in this and they are also trained in the behavior side of things. So they're, they're understanding where then the next level down a behavior consultant is working. And so a lot of veterinary behaviorists have a team of trainers or behavior consultants working with them so that they can address the, the medical side and then get, get the owner started on this is what a behavior plan is going to look like and how that medication might help, how we might, you know, ease it back over time, because the goal eventually is to not rely on just medication per se, right. for the of the dog, unless it's needed, right? But then yeah. it needs to be managed. 
but you also need to pair that with a behavior modification plan, work with this behavior consultant. And when it comes to medication for behavior problems, you're so right. I actually had someone ask me not too long ago of what medication can I give my dog to make her stop barking because it's bothering the neighbors. Yeah. And that did rub me the wrong way a little bit because I was like, you're going to drug your dog to make them stop doing a normal dog behavior. Yeah. And I was like, you have to look at the why. Why is the dog barking? And most barking is not rooted in anxiety or some kind of mental imbalance, something like that in the brain. It's, it's a normal behavior. It's alert barking, boredom barking, whatever that is. Boredom barking is a, is an issue. You really need to get to the bottom of. Yeah. And so it's like just drugging them isn't fair for the dog. If the reason they were doing that behavior was normal for them, that we can still change. We can teach them what to do instead, but we don't need medication in that situation versus if I have say a separation anxiety case, yeah. That needs to be diagnosed by a veterinary behaviorist. Yep. And then you work with a consultant to address it. It might mean starting medication first, because what's great about some anti-anxiety medications is it helps bring the dog's brain down to a level where they can actually learn. So if they are so frantic and panicked that there's no way they're going to learn what to do instead and how to feel about it. And so no matter what kind of training you do in that moment, it's not really creating a strong foundation. So in some severe cases, we do need that medication on board earlier rather than waiting till later. It's like Uh, a child with ADD. If you give them a little medication to help them focus, then they get over some of, they have coping mechanisms that they can learn. Exactly. And they have to learn those coping mechanisms, but you can't learn when you're in a state of panic, right? And yep. panic attacks, it's what I always equate separation anxiety to. Um, and so in those cases, medication can be helpful, but it's always best to not go to that first. Keep it in the back of your mind as for particular cases, it can be very helpful. That's where a behavior consultant is going to help you connect with a veterinary behaviorist. There's not enough of them out there. Which no, there is- isn't. We had had Jeff Nichols on in episode 55, and he's like the only guy in all of New Mexico uh, and in the surround. So so they're hard to find. But if you're really having, as you said, an issue, going to the veterinarian, finding out if there's some medications, but then always, always, always working with a veterinary behaviorist, even if you do it over the phone um, or via, via Zoom and let them see what your dog's doing and then have them work with someone like you, Kathy, who's in the area because you know the collaboration would be phenomenal because you can speak to them in a way that provides the veterinary behaviorist with more information that's you know lingo oriented as i always say yeah and and i call it the silver lining of covid is that what's amazing is more veterinary behaviorists are now allowed to do virtual consultations um when previously the laws around that weren't allowing them to really work right. with, with dogs. They couldn't. Right. The, the uh, VBHA, I think it's the, uh, no, the v- VP um, veterinary patient um, a relationship you had to have. You yeah. had to have a, a, a relationship and that with telemedicine has been relaxed a little 
based on COVID. Whether or not they'll go back once COVID stops, we don't know. But there, you know, as a lawyer, there are so many reasons why we have those laws in place. So people really do see the dog before they diagnose the dog. It's sort of like seeing the person before they diagnose the person. And at least the person can talk. Uh, where the dog can't talk, somebody's talking for them. And as you know, when you go to people's homes, when they describe what the dog's doing and you see what they're describing, you're going, wow, that doesn't look at all like what they're describing. And that comes a lot from just not understanding dog body language, because yeah. why would we? We're not dogs. Right. <laughs> so right. You have to put in that effort to start to learn what your dog is trying to tell you or what that, you know, what that paw lift might mean. And then that helps you determine, oh, this is why they're barking, yeah. right? Or this is why they're, they're pacing all the time and can't settle, you know? And, and so that really helps you describe it to consultants or vets or whoever you might be talking to about their behavior. Because one of the first things we ask, people will be like, oh, well, my dog gets angry when my partner does this. And the first thing I ask is, what does that look like? Because I cannot assign emotions to behavior yeah. without really seeing it, seeing the context and starting to understand what is driving that behavior, right? Why are they barking? It's because they heard a car door slam outside the, the apartment. Right. right. Okay. Well, that helps me determine that they're just alert barking. They're not barking because they're anxious per se. Right. But if they're just losing their mind when you leave for an hour, that can be separation anxiety. Let's look at the rest of the picture. Right. So knowing what to look for, how to describe that to your support team can really help you address it faster um, and really find the most effective way to approach it too. So tell us a little bit about what, Preventivet has been creating, because I know their website has so many different things for people with pandemic puppies to partake in, to be, you know, um, trained by, to to find information about, because that's why I love your group so much, because there are so many things on the website that I believe are free. I'm almost sure they're free, that people can really sink their teeth into, get a little idea about, and then maybe come on for more. But initially there is so much valuable information for pandemic puppy owners that will help them keep those puppies with them. Yeah. What we really focus on at Preventive Vet, it's in the name, is preventive measures. So proactive training is, is a big passion of mine. Um, and so that education is key where it's a lot of people just didn't know that, oh, that's something that happens when your dog starts to get into adolescence. They become a demon child. Yes. You know? It's so, terrible twos. It's yeah. terrible twos, but it happens really fast. Exactly. So it doesn't you, take two years to get there. Yeah, it's pretty quick. <laughs> You'll miss that puppy stage pretty soon. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really about knowing, okay, what's normal? What isn't normal? Um, what can I do with simple things by just changing the setup in my home? you know, to prevent alert barking, um, how to teach my dog the quiet cue so that they'll stop barking after they've told me someone's at the door. Um, so really proactive things they can do, as well as during the pandemic, we've been focusing a lot on medical issues for dogs because it is so hard right now to get in with a vet um, that we want to prevent those emergencies from popping up. And it really just comes down to education. If this is a, a risk, be aware of the risk. Here's what to do if it does happen, God forbid. Um, like, for example, before I started working for Preventive Vet, it never crossed my mind about the suffocation risk of snack bags. Oh, my right? God. We were talking about that last night with friends of mine. Neither did I. It, 
I never thought about it. And I'd been a trainer for years and never thought about it. And it was a huge thing at Preventive Ed. And I was like, I had no idea. And I had no idea it happened as commonly as it does. Yeah. Um, where we're getting stories, you know, every week or two of someone else who lost a dog. And then they, they had wished that they'd seen that information sooner. And then yeah. just taking simple steps, right? And how they store their snacks or... Now we have scissors right by our trash can where it's you cut the bag on both sides, right? And you just make it, it's sort of like um, when we would take the uh, circles around the uh, the soda cans and cut them so they don't go around turtlenecks when they're dropped in the ocean, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to really promote that, that preventive and proactive side of things to make it less stressful to share a life with the pets Um, and then also provide the free resource of, Here's what you need to do if this is right. And here's what to tell your vet. And then on the behavior and training side, we've launched the Pup Standing Academy, um, which is at pupstandingacademy.com. And I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) It's fun. Um, But I run workshops that uh, are self-paced modules, but then they include a live virtual small group session with me. And so that way you can take the information overload and personalize it with the help of a professional. You have to do one or two things and don't think that you have to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, your dog's different. You're different. Go through it in your own pace because I have a son who's been so good at that where he, you know, all the guys are going for faster than him and he goes, mom, I just want to make sure I know it. Yeah. That's such a great way to do it though, because then you feel confident in what you know, and then you're ready for that next step. Yep, absolutely. And then, of course, the one I love the best, which is the happy hour, which which runs almost always more than an hour. But it's that, you know, when we're pandemic puppy owners, I I was because I had puppies in the pandemic and they actually went to live with other people because I couldn't keep them right now. But one of them is coming back actually today. But, But to be able to have that camaraderie with people and understand that what you're going through isn't so weird and you're not the only one who um, doesn't get your dog to sit all the time or doesn't get your dog to stop working. So tell us a little bit more about that because I love that. Yeah, yappy hours are super fun. Um, We just had one earlier this week that you were at, which is great about senior dog care and tips. We do also have one called From uh, Pandemic Pup to Pup Standing Citizen. It's on Preventivet's YouTube page. um, So anyone can watch it anytime. Um, but those we do once a month and sometimes it's just me chatting away. Um, and some like this last one, we had a veterinarian as our special guest. Um, but we really try to focus on hot topics, you know, ways people can start addressing things they might be dealing with or how to be proactive, um, in training. And my favorite part about them really is the open Q and A at the end where people can send in their questions or ask them live. Um, and we'll address those because, it is hard to take information that we find out there and personalize it. Um, and so having someone to, to take their knowledge, like say with the training info I know, and apply it to your situation and make it more personalized, it's a lot easier to really absorb that way. Because um, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, think about, oh, well, they do it this way. And then you go, well, that wouldn't work in my house. I what know. do I do instead? And so get, getting that access is really nice. And It can be hard, especially during the pandemic, connecting with a trainer because we were all on lockdown for a lot of time. So we couldn't do in-homes. Virtual training is great because especially with my fearful cases or aggression cases, 
I don't actually have to go in the home and stress out the dog even more to evaluate them. And so there's a lot we can work on virtually. It tends to be more accessible financially as well, um, because it can be very expensive to find a qualified professional to help. So virtual makes it a little bit easier. Um, and that's why I love our workshops as well, is they're very affordable um, for people because it can be overwhelming to look at. I was I just signed up me and my, my teen dog for a new group class, and it's 40 bucks a class yeah. for six weeks. And I was like, that's expensive. And I'm in a very expensive cost of living area, but that's a lot for people to do and they just need help. And so trying to make it more accessible, finding them the resources, which is why I love Preventivet, all the free education on there. Um, we really want it to be accessible for everyone so that everyone can get the help they need. Yeah. Uh, that you so perfect. And of course we've run out of time again, which we always do, which always. drives me nuts. So we'll have to have you back again. But the three things I'm taking away, and I hope everyone else is, is that take it in small pieces. Don't think you have to climb the whole mountain um, and get your dog to be perfect in eight weeks. It's it's a it's a building block. Don't don't worry. It, you know, as long as you get all the pieces in, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there because it's the pieces going in the right place that work better than getting all the pieces thrown together. The next is if some of the pieces aren't fitting, maybe you need a vet behaviorist um, or a trainer or a behaviorist to come and help you. Don't shy away from that. Don't shy away from getting in touch with your vet or your breeder or even the rescue or shelter. Maybe they have some great ideas. And finally, do not poo-poo that virtual community that gives you information on Preventive Vets website and platform that will help you gain that confidence, I think, to really know you can do this. As I said at the beginning, sometimes pets may not work out and, and may be better off without the family. But if I can suggest that everybody who's listening now goes on to Preventivet's site and uses a lot of the free tools to understand a lot of the issues that are arising, you might be able to say, wow, this, this isn't so hard. And maybe I'll join this group of really fun people like Kathy, um, <laughs> who are not going to judge you, but are going to help you because whatever you're experiencing, um, been there, done that, screwed it up at least three times um, and then figured it out correctly. I don't know if you feel that way, Kath, but you know, I'm only where I am now because of all the mistakes I made. <laughs> so true. Right. Well, and I think it's important though, that if a dog ends up not being the right fit after you have put in some work to try to figure out, is there a way to fix this? And, and that really is helpful having that professional with you because there will be times I have done this with a client where it was, this is not the right fit for you. How do we now go about connecting with the rescue you got it from? How do we connect with possibly the breeder you got it from to make sure that we find the best fit for the dog, knowing it's not here, right? And there's lots of resources out there that I think a lot of people don't know about that mean you don't have to put the dog on Craigslist, yeah. right? You don't have to just dump the dog somewhere or tie it outside of a shelter, right? That's not the way to go about it. There are responsible ways to go about it. You just have to reach out for some help. And, and I really urge you connect with a professional because we are not going to be judgmental or we shouldn't be. Thank you. If someone is, find a new one. Find a new one. And if yeah. your breeder is, tell them, you know, I came to you um, because you're the best person I thought who could help me with this. And, and you're probably right. I mean, acknowledge and appreciate that you might not have given the time to this dog that they asked you to give or that maybe you should have given. That's not um, a, a measure of 
um, agreement that you didn't do what was right, but acknowledge it and appreciate. Yeah, I probably didn't. But what do I do now? Exactly. How do I go forward now and that this dog will be safe and well loved either in my home or another home? Exactly. Yeah. Kathy, thank you so much. This has been an incredible pandemic puppy. I'm sure we're going to have two or three more because this is going to be an ongoing issue when people go back to work and dogs. So pandemic puppies is one thing, but pandemic pre-owned dogs who never had a pandemic, lived at home, knew their schedule, and then the schedule got thrown out. I love those commercials in the New Yorker that said, when the hell are they going back to work? They're in <laughs> my sleep schedule. Uh, so, so yeah. So, so I think that there's going to be a lot of issues for dogs that never had issues because mm-hmm. now their whole entire life was turned upside down, walking three times a day, whatever, because you needed to get out. So we're going to talk about that. But Kathy, thank you so much. Um, Kathy is the um, behavioral consultant and the chief dog trainer um, at Preventivet. Go there, preventivet.com. You spell it like it sounds. And until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton Law Mediation, the Why Do Pets Matter podcast, where you are right now. And of course, the MAP community that meets every six, every Wednesday at 630. Take care, everyone, and kiss your dog for me. Thanks, Kev. Thank you. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.